0: compass needle that points to the north, and the mysterious polar lights, both have the same cause, the Earth's magnetic field. Our Earth is a gigantic magnet. Its core is a huge sphere made of rotating nickel and iron. The rotation produces electricity, and wherever electric current is flowing, there also is an invisible magnetic field. The geomagnetic field covers the whole Earth and goes a few thousand kilometers into space. It is our protective shield, acting like an umbrella to keep away the harmful particles coming from outer space and the Sun. When they hit the magnetic field, they may start to glow. These green glowing particles are the polar lights you can see in the sky around the poles. Like all magnets, our Earth has two magnetic poles, where the magnetic force is the strongest. But do not confuse the magnetic poles with the geographical poles. These are the ends of the Earth's rotational axis in the north and in the south. The geographical poles are fixed, but the magnetic poles change their position over time. In fact, they move at the rate of several kilometers per year. The reason? the geomagnetic field that the Earth's rotating metal core produces is not entirely stable. But for centuries, the geomagnetic field and the magnetic compass needle have helped sailors and explorers find the right direction. The compass tip always points to the Earth's magnetic north.
1: Good morning, saints. It is July the 4th, and um, because of level 4 restrictions, we cannot be together uh, physically.
2: But, uh, even though it's not nice to not be together in the physical, we're inviting you to pull up a chair, gather with us around the fire so we can be together in the Word of God and have our fellowship in the Spirit.
1: So grab your Bibles, your notebooks, and um, we are going to continue with our study um, regarding the functioning of the brain of the human being, and um, with a focus on how we walk in the spirit. Uh, And so we are going to discover how we can physiologically understand ourselves and make it easier for everybody to mature and walk in the spirit.
2: Our anchor scripture today is going to be in Galatians, so you can all page to chapter 5, verse 16 and 17.
1: So let us recap. The Bible talks about the new man and the old man, and the Bible very clearly speaks about the reborn or resurrected uh, person, So a believer, a true believer, is somebody who died to themselves and have been resurrected. The Bible talks in John chapter 3 about being born again. Um, and in this study, what we are doing is we're looking at what we know about the human brain. And uh, we are trying to find the link between the physiological human um, functioning of the brain and the uh, spiritual language of the Bible and the references, because our quest is to understand how to walk in the Spirit, but also how to become of one mind in ourselves, with other words, uh, finding the balance and the equilibrium between all the parts of the uh, human brain, the faculties. We're going to refer to those parts of the human brain as faculties, and so what we are on a quest for is to understand how we can use the information together with what we are taught in the Bible uh, in order to, in our lifetimes, hopefully mature because the goal of our faith is Messiah-likeness. And so let's look uh, and recap at what we know on a very basic level about the three uh, most important faculties of the human psyche, the brain. So we are going to draw our oversimplified uh, representation of the three basic uh, elementary faculties of the functioning of the human brain. Right, so we have ID we have Ego and we have super ego. superego ego and ID and we have explained all of this in previous teachings what we are going to do is we are going to discover how these discoveries or um, theoretical constructs that we have borrowed from Uh, psychology, secular psychology for that matter, Uh, we are going to discover how this will help us understand the Holy Spirit in us and how we as a renewed creation can live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit.
2: So we're in Galatians chapter 5 and first we'll read the anchor scriptures together. So Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Now in the scripture reference, we see two elements identified. The first is the person of the Holy Spirit. And we know this because the word spirit is written with a capital letter S. The second element that is identified is termed as the flesh. And what we see in this particular piece of scripture is that these two elements are opposed to one another. In fact, it says that they are contrary to one another. So you can imagine this. And then we see this last little phrase in verse 17 that says... Uh, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And this phrase is actually the outcome of the fact that these two elements are contrary to one another. And it is in this particular little phrase that the key lies to unlock the mystery of this mechanism that we see explained in this piece of scripture. So let's read the anchor scripture again. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Hmm.
1: Okay, so emphasize it for us. So the we have certain elements mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit and the flesh and there's a there's a mechanism where uh, something is keeping you from doing what you want to do okay so if we look carefully we can find a key embedded here so the the normal reaction when somebody is going to read this piece of scripture would be: we're going to think, "Well, wow, the flesh keeps me from doing the things that I want to do in the spirit."
2: And we assume that the things we wish to do is always spiritual things.
1: Of course, we're going to assume that because we're good all the time, except when the flesh um, hinders us.
2: Mm.
1: Okay, but there's actually this—the meaning of this. A uh, piece of scripture comes from both sides mm. If we look carefully mm-hmm. Okay, so on the one hand The flesh, whenever we go into the flesh Or when we um, choose uh, to respond To the the will of the flesh On the one hand, the flesh can keep us From doing the things that the Spirit is leading us to do Now, if you're a believer uh, Experientially, you all know exactly what this feels like And what it looks like mm. But it's not just a negative aspect that's communicated in this piece of scripture. There's actually a simultaneous positive aspect that's communicated in the same piece of scripture. Because the Spirit also does something.
2: Remember, if we have died, been resurrected, then that means we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's now the Holy Spirit living in us. Which means that when read from the perspective of the Spirit, this piece of Scripture could mean that the Holy Spirit actually prohibits the flesh from doing what it wishes to do.
1: Okay, but this could cause um, discomfort Mm. and it could cause confusion. Because if you have two elements... That are contrary to each other The one wants to do something And the other one wants to do the opposite If we have too much of this happening All the time It means that you would feel Conflicted And um, now Take a moment And just check in your life experience In trying to walk this walk of faith um, How often have we experienced this, This conflict Um And that's what we're going to explore uh, during this teaching. And we're going to have a look at, can we understand why this conflict um, is taking place? Mm. And uh, we're going to see if we can find ways in the word of God and in the understanding of the physiological brain, if we can understand how to minimize the conflict, because none of us enjoy this conflict.
2: Mm. And it doesn't line up with the promises of peace, covenant.
1: Shalom Mm. Exactly So the goal of our faith is to become Messiah-like And the one um, Characteristic of Messiah Is that he does the will of the Father And only the will of the Father So we in our quest to become Messiah-like And that's what we're called to become We want to get to a place Where the flesh and the spirit Is no longer working against each other And this uh, leads us to the question that um, we are going to ask today and endeavor to answer. Is it possible for a human, whilst in the flesh, and of course you need to be reborn, resurrected, filled with the Spirit, is it possible for such a person to get to a place where the flesh is no longer resisting the Spirit, and the Spirit is not resisting the flesh? But the governance of Yahweh inside of us through His Spirit is leading us to do uh, the will of the Spirit without the conflict that results with the flesh. With other words, a more uh, seamless flow of life itself. Mm -hmm. Now, you can imagine this would lead to joy, to an experience of perpetual grace, um, and more importantly... It means that love could flow through us, because just, mm-hmm. if you just read a little bit ah, previous verses, this uh, idea, this thought pattern flows from the great commandment, where we are encouraged by the Word of God to love uh, our neighbor as ourselves, or love the others in the body as ourselves. So if we can minimize the conflict, Mm. if we can understand how this process of the flesh and the spirit being against each other, keeping us from doing what we want to do, wish to do, um, if we can understand how this process could actually cause a flow of grace and joy, and most importantly, love, then um, I think this could be a phenomenal step forward for the entire body of Messiah.
2: Because it would mean that we would be able to do what we wish to do and what we wish to do would be the will of the Holy Spirit.
1: Okay, so we're going to do a word study. So before we go and have a look at the the Greek um, original uh, script, we just wanted to let you guys know that we're not all alone in the living room and we do have some fellowship because uh, uh, luckily and we are so blessed to have out with us as well so he's spending the week with us and uh, while we're busy recording he's over here doing some of his work for his research and um, so we're very glad to have him with us do you want to say hello to everyone
2: <laughs> hello saints and it's just a privilege to
1: be with you guys to be in western cape and with the body okay so let's continue with our word study and you can continue with your work thank you so let's look at the strong's lexicon so with other words on this screen we are going to get a glimpse of um, the greek word find it there there's a strong's greek number for that word and remember we are now looking at the strong's greek then we are going to have various words That is, I'm going to try and get us to the meaning of this Greek word here. So, if we look at the word for, it's gar, and it says for, a primary particle properly assigning a reason. So, the word for has the meaning behind it as assigning a reason. Okay, so... It starts the sentence and it's going to assign a reason for what is going to follow. This is just so we can understand the process we are going to follow with this. Okay, it says, for the flesh. Okay, and if we look at flesh, there's the Greek word. And it says, flesh, body, human nature, materiality, or kindred. I want us to, in word studies, uh, develop the ability to look at the possibilities from biblical perspective, eternal perspective. The possibilities of finding truth within these little meanings. With other words, when we refer to flesh, we're not just referring to the physical body of the human. The word encompasses the body plus the human nature. So, if we see the word flesh, in the Bible, we can now say that the Greek refers to the flesh and the human nature within the flesh. But, it also refers to the kindred. With other words, when we say flesh, we're referring to the body, the flesh, the physical um, uh, form of the man the human nature of the man and it has to be connected to um, the kindred because that's the bloodline, the culture, where that physical form with the nature inside originated from and why. So when we speak about the flesh of man, we know that the um, Norwegian would physically, if you just call up your... And, and we don't want to use stereotypes, but there's a reason why there's stereotypes, because we perceive the same physical uh, um, features with uh, some perceived historical uh, attributes when we're talking about a person that comes from a ge- uh, geographical area, or we are talking about a person that comes from a certain culture. So when I say Zulu, everybody will call up a specific picture, historically, of a Zulu, and this would be Shaka, Shaka, or Dangan, uh with the traditional Zulu wear. Now, however, if you did go to KwaZulu Natal today, you could encounter a, a, a Zulu male, with um, uh, an office, uh, and he could be, uh, an attorney and he could be dressed in a, a suit and tie and he could have a, a very modern demeanor but the reality is that many of the zulu males would still go back to their homesteads and they would still partake in traditional festivals and many of them would thus dress in traditional way and partake in traditional cultural events uh, like dancing or playing drums or in acting um, traditional um, uh, warfare uh, dances or styles and therefore uh, we have a picture that might have changed because of modernization but the picture is something that's edged into our minds because it is historically correct Okay, now, why am I telling you this? When we see the word flesh, and it's referring to the flesh, the body, the human nature, and the kindred, we uh, can rightly refer back to a, a Norwegian man as probably blonde, most probably uh, fair, uh, fair-haired, with um, traditionally probably a moustache and a beard, And then we go all the way back to the Viking kind of picture. And when we arrive at the Viking kind of physical picture, we're also going to ascribe a nature that is not always true, but traditionally, according to the picture we have of them traditionally, it could be true. And uh, even stereotypically, a certain type of kindred. With other words, they come from a lineage, a bloodline. Okay, so this is to explain when we, when we say the word flesh, there's actually a lot of meaning uh, encompassed in the word in Greek. And so when we see this, we're saying there's different meanings to ascribe to a word. And if we get to understand language well, we can understand the different applications of that word better. And that's what we're going to do today. So we see the next word craves in Greek refers to covet, lust, set the heart upon and it's made up of two root words epi and thumos to set the heart upon or long for. Now we all know the word craving in connection to food and if you think about it starts as a basic impulse from some part of your psyche so if we refer back to our uh, chart on the elements of the human brain um, it seems that id would register hunger or a need for energy or a need for satisfaction pleasure or reward and so a signal is sent from the file. Remember, there's two files in the ID. And so we see that a signal is sent. And the word craves would also include lust, covered, set the heart upon, or long for. Now we're going to get to the actual word study Now this is where our focus is going to be, when we get to what is contrary, or what is against, there we find the word kata. Kata is a Greek word, and it's a very interesting key word to understanding the piece of scripture that we're looking at. Okay, it says in varied relations, genitive, dative. or accusative with which it is joined and the rest of the script says to the spirit it is kata the flesh is kata but otherwise the cravings that which we set our heart upon is kata to the spirit pneumatos or pneuma wind breath spirit the holy spirit and the spirit and the same word is used again in the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Now let's have a look at the word Kata. Kata. Now this becomes real interesting. The definition down against According to. So there we would have the idea that the one is pressing the other one down. Subduing or submitting something else. Then the word against says that two things are moving against each other. Imagine two speeding trains heading in two opposite directions on this same train track. That would be the idea of against. The moment they meet they are going to stop each other's momentum. But now we see something very interesting. How do we have the same meaning of against and according to in the same word? Please look at this. When it says definition, we have down, against, or according to. So the word kata has two opposite meanings in its definition. To opposite applications. Against and according to. Now when we go down to usage. We have against, down from, throughout, over against, among, daily, day by day, each day, according to, by way of. And what we are going to focus on in the study is the... Very real definition uh, in these words, this this Greek word, uh, the definition that is contrary to each other, against and according to. So we have a word that means contrary, and embedded in the word itself, there's a contradiction. Interesting. This becomes a key. What does a key do? It locks a door, and it unlocks a door. And so we see the same thing.
3: So
2: what we're going to do next is I'm going to show you that on the Bible Hub website, you can actually find a list of scriptures where this Greek word, kata, uh, or different forms of the word is used. And it's quite a long list of scriptures. And what we're going to see when we look through these list of scriptures or what you will see when you read through them is that Different the the translators have used different forms of the word in different scriptures depending on the context. So some of the scriptures you'll say they you'll see they use the word as in or by or according to or against, and the question might arise why did they translate it in different ways? Well, the interesting thing about the word kata is that the greek translators would not have used the word or translated the word uh, based on concrete definition because we've now seen when we looked at the definition of kata that the definition itself contains two contrasting uh, actions or contrasting definitions and so the word karta, instead of being used as a concrete definition, meaning that it's always the same uh, variant of the word, uh, instead of being used in that way, it's actually used more according to the function that it serves, the function that it explains uh, in different scriptures and in different contexts. And so we're going to look at that. So when we now actually look at this screen, where we saw the definition of kata, Uh, When you go onto the Bible Hub website And you go to the definition of the word kata On the right hand side over here You'll see we have a complete list available to us Of the different variations of the word kata It could even be uh, shortened to kat And if we scroll all the way down You'll see over there It shows us the three forms of the word And so the one is kat or kata and that is also a form of cut. And then you can go and see the different occurrences of all of these words. And if you click on either of them, they will take you to all the, there's all the 480 occurrences of this specific Greek word and all the verses that it's used in. And you'll see when you read through every verse reference, they give you different translations. We tend to look at the King James version and every time the specific word kata or kato different variation of the word is highlighted to us in red so that we can see exactly where it's used in the sentence or in the verse and so that we can look at the the way that they've translated it
3: Hmm.
2: so we're going to scroll all the way back to the top and look at the very first example in the New Testament where we see this word used.
1: Okay, so now we're going to start to open up the um, the function of the word kata, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at different ways that in that it was translated in different uh, pieces of scripture, and this is going to uh, help us understand the function and as opposed to just looking at the definition for this we're going to go to matthew and there's a very interesting functioning of the word kata or kat in um in this story found uh it's the story of the birth of uh, yahushua the son of god and um let's go to matthew chapter 1 verse 20 I think we'll have to start reading probably from um, verse 18. Now, the birth of Yahshua Messiah was as follows. After his mother Mary, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly but while he thought about these things behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying Joseph son of David do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit right so here in this passage we see that uh, it says appeared unto him in a dream and the in is the word kat and this is what we find um, in our anger scripture in Galatians the word katah. and so the same root and why is it translated in remember it has the basic meaning of against or according to or uh, down towards and so we see here that because of circumstances, okay this guy, Joseph, who is just and, and righteous and in his intention, the intention of his heart is to do the right thing, he's faced with the reality that he is betrothed to a virgin girl. but before they could come together, she's found to be with child. Now, according to what is right, uh, right according to his value system, his family, his culture, um, the right thing to do is not to marry her, for obvious reasons. And he had it in mind to put her away secretly, so that he wouldn't um, publicly embarrass her mm-hmm. and make a spectacle of her. And this is what the the script now tells us, is that um, in this process of him uh, being being In his mind, in his thoughts, he's working out what to do. It must have been emotional, Mm. a big disappointment, a big problem to deal with. And um, in this process, an angel appears to him in a dream. And um, this is why the word kata is used here. It says, and an angel appeared unto him in a dream. And that's why in this, in, in a dream, has the meaning of against or contrary to. So, in a dream or vision, the angel appears contrary to his thought patterns, contrary to his plans, what he thinks is right. So, there's something happens that stops him from continuing with what he was thinking Mm. to do. Or
2: planning to do. Mm. Right.
1: And in the book of Galatians, we see that the flesh and the spirit is contrary to each other so there's against. two momentums against that's right and the, the one stops the other from doing what you want to do and that's why the word kata is found in this um, piece of scripture or in the text so the angel appears to come against what he was going to do and that's why the word kata is here, according to the fun- function of it
2: So the next scripture that uses this word that we're looking at is in Matthew chapter 2 verse 12. And it says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And again, the word, the specific word, kat, comes from "kata," that is used is again, in a dream. And then we see in verse 13, the same concept is used again. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. So we're seeing something very interesting about the word kata and its functionality and how it's taking form. Because just like you said now, the the functionality of the word First and foremost we see is that From God's side he's giving instruction To come against What Joseph was planning in his heart to do What would have been perhaps the natural thing to do So events were going to take on a certain form Follow a certain stream And from God's side he's coming against that To change it But now once the instruction has been given We see that because Joseph Uh, Adheres to to the instruction from the Lord His will is actually now changed And the flow of events now moves According to God's will Which is the contrary definition That we find in the word kata Which would have been against or according to And now we start to see the functionality of the word And why we can't just uh, look at or consider its definition But we need to consider the functionality because first and foremost uh, the dream the instruction that's coming from the angels or from God is coming against what Joseph would have done but it's now to change so that he can move according to and so we see both definitions of the word but more the functionality of the word now coming to light and so we can start to understand what it does
1: so just as a A non-scriptural practice of this interesting dynamic or functionality of the word kata. A river could kata its banks, or flow kata its banks, and this could mean that um, a river flows according to its banks. This is when a river stays within the boundaries of the banks, and the banks uh, guides the flow of the water Mm -hmm. in its proper way and direction and uh, volume. And so a uh, river flows kata, uh, uh, flows Qatar its banks, could mean according to its banks. And then when a river bursts its banks or f- overflows the banks, we could use the same w- word and say that um, a, a river flows Qatar its banks. And this could mean that um, a river flows contrary to its banks and overflows. So this is how this word could function. Mm. Um, And so, depending on the uh, uh, context of what is happening, this word could have a functionality. Okay. Now, we are going to get back to the uh, uh, list of scriptures and just quickly run uh, down it again and just refer to some of the references we are also going to look at the three different uh, translations that we're looking at and see how they translated the word differently and then we are going to talk about um, this word and its similarity to the uh, phenomena of magnetism because this word is a magnetic word it does exactly the same in a sentence as a magnet does and we're going to look at god's uh, phenomenal provision in creation when it comes to the existence of the um, uh, phenomena of magnetism and we're going to look at what magnetism can do and does do and then we're going to show you that this word kata is actually a magnet magnetic that um, organizes things, directs things. And so that's why this word was probably created and invented to refer to something natural uh, that occurs, Mm. a natural process, just like the word magnet refers to a natural process that's occurring and that is relevant. And we needed to identify something natural and um, scientific and the word magnetism or magnetic and magnetic fields are constructed ideas or theories that um, represent something that occurs and kata is the same kind of thing as the word magnet it represents a naturally occurring phenomena that needs to be embedded in sentences alright So, we're going to just read through a little bit of the list together.
2: Right, so we've now considered these three scriptures of in a dream, and now we're going to look at some of the other ways that this word was used. So here we had uh, according to the time, that's kata, the time. We have, again, appear in a dream, kata, a dream kata a dream and then here we start to get to some of the other ways that the word was used um, against you kata you
1: and, and note that here the different translations uh, are using the same uh, or signifies the same meaning chooses the same one of several mm. meanings or applications for this word
2: yes but it doesn't
1: remain consistent but it does happen mostly between different translations. Yes. Remember that the King James Version would have been the standard, stock standard for the uh, way that it's translated. And so from there, other translations would have picked up on the translation of this word.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So here we have against you, uh, against you, or against the uh, here we have just the, the word meaning down. So they ran violently down a steep place. So to move downwards towards. Um, again, we have according to your faith, um, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. Uh, we should have a daughter-in-law. Yes, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So Qatar. Uh, Held a council against him, qatar him Um, Here he speaks about a kingdom divided against qatar itself Uh, A house divided qatar itself So here we see the Lord uses the word In a few places with the primary idea or functionality of against um, but once we explain the word, you're going to see that in all these, you would, you should be able to identify the functionality of the word and why kata was used. Um, keep in mind that there are other translated words that just mean against or just mean according to. Uh, and it's important to note that in all these scriptures... It wasn't those specific translations that was used that has the primary and only meaning of against or primary and only definition of according to, but specifically the word was used. And hopefully once we're done with this study, you will understand why and how to identify the functionality of that word. So here we see <coughs> a place apart. So this was referring to Yahushua when he secluded himself. So he went up to a mountain alone pray by himself and so that's the word kata
1: the reason they're using uh, for instance in matthew 14 uh, when the lord goes to the mountain to pray why they're using the word kata is because it has a double meaning of positive and negative so on the one hand he's drawing close to god and away from the world and people and on the other uh, side he's going towards uh, and, and away from. So there's a two directional move, and the word kata is perfect for that purpose. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh,
2: then we will see here uh, to give to every man according to his deeds. Uh, we're going to look at a similar scripture later where we will we'll see again the functionality of the word and why specifically the word kata was used. Uh, again, here we see this is with the transfiguration on a high mountain, apart, or kata,
1: but themselves, so.
2: um.
1: Okay, now, we can move on and have a look at the similarities in the functioning of the word kata and magnetism.
4: Mm. We've all heard of magnets. Magnets are what make your car run. They're what generate the electricity that lets you read a book at night and they're what let you pay for your gas with a credit card. But what exactly is a magnet? What makes some materials, like iron and neodymium, magnetic, while other materials, like copper, tin, and plastic, are not? To answer that question, we'll have to look through a microscope. Scientists now believe that all magnetic fields are created by those all too familiar charges from your days of chemistry? Electrons. All moving electrons, whether they're zipping down a power cord or orbiting around an atomic nucleus, generate a tiny magnetic field. Those fields may be small, but they add up, with the potential to create fields large enough to encompass the entire Earth. When we look at this piece of iron under a microscope, we see what appear to be tiny cells. These cells are called domains. In metals like iron, quantum mechanical effects cause the electrons in these domains to share the direction of their magnetic field with other electrons. As a result, each domain has an individual magnetic field. In a non-magnetic material, These fields point in random directions, like toothpicks scattered on a table. The thousands of domains pointing one way cancel out thousands pointing the other. The result is a non-magnetic piece of iron. When we look at this magnet, however, we see that the domains are preferentially aligned in one direction. What has happened is that as this magnet was made, Its domains were twisted by an outside force, such as another magnetic field, so that most of them point in the same direction. Instead of cancelling out, all these magnetic fields add up, creating a much stronger magnetic field that surrounds the entire piece of iron. And we get a magnet. Let's read Galatians chapter 5, verse
2: 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Before death and resurrection, before baptism, we know this dynamic to be an ultimate truth. That flesh and spirit are contrary to one another and that an enmity exists. But now we see, in verse 24 of the same piece of scripture, Paul writes a conclusion and he says, And those who are messiahs have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Which means that for a believer who has died and been resurrected, a believer who has crucified the flesh, this enmity between flesh and spirit can no longer be an ultimate truth.
1: So we we now know what the conclusion of the thought pattern is. But we are still going to go back to verse 16 and just flesh it out. Let's break it down into little bite-sized pieces. Um, so it says, Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So... Yeah, uh, it says that the, there is the lusts of the flesh. Although later on he's going to say that those who are in Messiah um, have crucified the flesh. So now we, we, we are looking at a reality where in baptism we know that the, the flesh was crucified. But experientially all of us has discovered, consequent to the baptism that temptation didn't just end and for some reason although the flesh is and has been crucified we discover that we are not in our behavior we are not perfect and this is the question that we ultimately want to find answers to because let's be honest, a lot of believers wrestle with this question. I've been crucified with Messiahs. What I believe it's a reality and at times we enjoy the full reality of that. The freedom, the peace, the joy, the fullness, the fulfillment, <clears throat> but then it's not constant. And the question that we are all dealing with is um, how do we Uh, move from a place where sometimes I'm doing really well in the Spirit and sometimes I tend to revert back to the flesh. And why is the flesh still around? (coughs) Okay. So, in verse 17 it says that the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to each other. So, we know that the Bible explains that there's two forces that are coming against each other. And uh, what it says is very importantly, the key idea here <clears throat> is that uh, so that I do not do what I wish or what I want. And so, this brings it about two forces coming against each other, moving in the opposite directions, is now can have the effect of being stationary or stuck. Or we move forward and then we are moved back to where we were. And it's normally a place where we didn't want to be. Now we know that the Holy Spirit of God is going to uh, work in us righteousness and holiness and uh, the glory of God and the will of God. Okay, so the Holy Spirit wants to move us in a certain direction. The flesh that's supposed to be dead and crucified, the Bible tells us, can still be contrary to the work of the Spirit. And this could get us into a position where the two are working against each other and we get stuck or stationary. But in other words, we don't have the momentum that we need. And this is from observation where we see a lot of Christians or a big portion of the Christian world find themselves. Instead of having a momentum that is steadfast and not interrupted, uninterrupted, um, we see Christianity trying to live out their faith in a stationary position or situation where they are not progressing. Now the progressing we measure uh, according to maturing. Uh, We can measure the progressing according to the increase of the fruit of the spirit and it has to now be measured against the uh, prevalence of the fruit of the flesh. Now a lot of Uh, Christians, after a renewal in the Spirit, uh, think that the whole walk is about just not doing the things of the flesh anymore. Mm. And this is where this scripture comes into effect. Because a lot of times it's just the process of the Spirit keeping the flesh from doing what it wants to do. Now we can live like this and we can maintain just the basic process of not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Okay, now, this is better than being in a position where we are just fulfilling the lust of the flesh. So it's better than be sinful, being sinful uh, and ignorant, but it's not ideal, this is not the mm-hmm. promises, this is not the inheritance
3: mm-hmm.
1: that we have in Messiah. There's more. And so we're doing this teaching because we want to uh, learn from the Holy Spirit how to get to the more. In other words, a flow on the inside, in the inside man, where we are seamlessly able to flow within the will of Yahweh in the Spirit. And that's why he says, walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. So there's an ideal situation where we are not just locked into this position, stationary position of the Spirit keeping us from doing the things of the flesh. That's when we no longer uh, go out and go sin the way we used to. That's the believer that's been set free from sin, and the Spirit is now keeping him from sin the revelries of drunkenness and um, drugs and all those things that's just the beginning stages because now it's going to say walk in the spirit so there's a momentum walking is a momentum you're going somewhere you're on a journey somewhere Mm -hmm. and so that's that's where our focus is that walking, that journey Mm -hmm. And of course we've defined what that walking looks like. The walking is maturing, the walking is love, the walking is holiness, the walking is knowing the Word of God, moving away from ignorance into wisdom. And uh, this is where we are right now. So, if it says, "...for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish..." But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then it gives us a list of the works of the flesh. It runs through that. And then we go to verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such is no law. Verse 24. And those who are messiahs have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Now, the very next uh, epistle in the Bible is Ephesians. So we go from here to Ephesians chapter 2. And here we're going to read in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, But Yahweh, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Messiah, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Messiah Yahushua, Uh, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Messiah Yahushua. It says in verse 10, For we are His workmanship created in Messiah for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Okay. So now we are bringing in the concept that we have formulated and taught well and that is eternity mindset that's our positioning right so we know that on the one hand it says that we've been raised together with Messiah and it says we are seated with Messiah in Messiah in heavenly places now this is called eternity mindset yet we are still on the earth and right here on the earth where we are now We could be locked in an enmity situation where the spirit that by whom we've been sealed and lives in us is keeping us from performing or fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. But we know that legally we've we've crucified the flesh. Okay. So, there is a simultaneous process that's happening inside of us. Facilitated by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to get us to flow within the work and the will of uh, Yahweh in us through His Spirit the finished work of Messiah Yahushua and to perform these works that were prepared for us beforehand ok so how does this beta- pertain to the to the, the our study of how the brain works. That's where we're going to go next. Because if we can understand how all of this pertains to my real-time, real-life experience right here in the moment, then maybe we can dislodge ourselves mm-hmm. from that place of enmity the moment where the will of the flesh is activated, we could find ourselves in a stuck situation of enmity or even being pushed backward by either uh, the working of the Holy Spirit or the working of the flesh. How can we dislodge ourselves to just see the flow of the Holy Spirit working in us and the agreement of my faculties Mm -hmm. so that we can... Not only do the will of God, but live out our true identity in Messiah. And it's there where the study of the ID, the Ego, and the Super Ego comes in. Because it's all about identity. What's Identity. It's who you think you are, who you believe you are, and what you believe you should have, and what you need. What you believe could happen to you, should happen to you, and where you believe that you are heading to, with other words, vision. These are all aspects of identity. Also, identity includes how we perceive ourselves, in relation to the people around us mm-hmm. and the world around us. And that's why we have such a complicated process of discipleship. Yes. We have to end certain relationship and uh, relationships with people and we have to now start to uh, invest in new relationships with people. We have to end relationships with certain parts of the world around us and now forge new relationships with certain other parts of mm-hmm. the world around us. That's why this um, process of discipleship is so multi-layered, because it, it, it all comes back to identity. The ID, the ego and the super-ego that makes up your identity and that's going to govern the uh, rest of the working of the rest of your brain. And that's going to make you do what you do. So, on the one hand, we have a lot of people that believe one thing but end up doing the opposite. Mm. Or believe something, really believe something, but never get to actually live it out or fulfill what they believe. Um, And there's got to be a good reason why this happens. And if we can figure out how this works, Mm. then we can help you do what you believe should be done Fulfill your destiny in the Lord. And more importantly, get to live in the fullness of the covenant of peace. So, from here, we're going to show you how to flip Mm
3: -hmm.
1: the flesh around so that it can walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit.
2: So, this is what we're saying. The scripture in Galatians identifies the flesh and the spirit. And it says that these are contrary to one another. So they exist in enmity. And this enmity leads you to not do what you wish to do. So the contention is stopping you from doing what you wish to do. But now we see in verse 24 that this scripture says that this same flesh has been crucified. So the flesh that is part of the contention has been crucified. So now already we start to have this question formed. Why, if the flesh has been crucified, why does this contention still exist? Furthermore, In Ephesians, we've read that you have been raised with Messiah and are now seated in heavenly places in him. Which means that the eternal you, the true you, the you who you are going to be in eternity, is seated in him in heavenly places. Far above all the things of this world. So now, the flesh has been crucified You have been seated in Messiah, in Him, in heavenly places, far above all the things of the world. And so now we ask the question, why, if all of this is true, does this contention, this enmity, why does this still exist? Now part of this answer lies in the fact that our primal brain has what we are going to call a survival manual. And this survival manual exists out of two files. The one is pain, and the other is reward. And when we are resurrected, when we die and we are resurrected and the Holy Spirit moves in, He does not supernaturally just wipe out this file, this survival manual. Because contained in this survival manual is all the information that your brain has stored throughout your lifetime. And the information stored is the kind of triggers that would tell you to eat when you are hungry, to sleep when you are tired. And so the Holy Spirit is not going to wipe out this file because it is in his best interest for you to fulfill the will of God that you do eat when you are hungry and that you do sleep when you are tired, because when all of this is functioning properly, then you can be used to fulfill the will of God. Remember, he didn't just come to rewire us and to remake us, he came to redeem us. And so there is still information stored in these two files that are going to work to his benefit.
1: Okay, so let's remember that uh, we are working with our understanding of how the brain functions physiologically and we are trying to combine it with the information that the word gives us regarding the renewed man and the indwelling of the holy spirit so that we can see how does what the word says uh, relate to what we know physiologically is the state of man while he's alive and um Can we gain anything from this understanding to help us see how this can become true for us? With other words, how can what the Word says is true become completely true for us? And this is what we've got to remember. So we have the primal brain, and that used to be ID. We know that as ID from the uh, theoretical construct that we borrowed from... Freudian thinking. Then we have the ego that is a faculty of the brain and we have super ego and super ego has a function as a faculty of the brain. Just so that we can go back to the basic functionings of these things. Now, Super-ego has a function to import what is good. So, value systems, uh, moral values, laws, rules, rules of society, etiquette, and so forth, so that it governs our actions and decision-making, or balances it out, so that we remain in good standing with the people around us. So it helps us to remain uh, socially acceptable because we are pack animals. We are social uh, creatures. We live and survive within a social structure. And so that's why this part of the brain functions the way that it does. So on a primal level... On a just human level, this part of the brain is not concerned necessarily with God and the will of God or even truth. It's concerned with how do we govern our behavior so that we protect and, uh, uh, and, and build relationships with others so that we can fit into society because within society we are going to be better aligned to survive right so that 's what super ego is supposed to do i d is primal it has a programming of reward and pain, and it 's going to work on a basis of what do I need what 's best for me, what will fulfill me the most, what will make me happiest, most comfortable, more secure so this part of the brain is going to um steer us through life in a way that we are most safe and most most secure and most fulfilled and ego is going to function in a way that is going to firstly balance out the working of super ego and uh, my own self-interest with my self-interest should not overbalance too much so that i get um ostracized from the society that I need to live in. So, ego is going to balance that out. So, ego is going to process the outside world and image, the responses of the world around me, with my idea of what should happen from the inside, both from ID and from superego. Right. That's on a base level. But now, the Word says that the flesh has been crucified for those who are in Messiah, and that we are now seated in heavenly place, in eternity, in Messiah. It also says that we have the mind of Messiah. We looked at that before. Now, how do we now find the reality of that in our daily living, so that we can understand what to do? So, this file of pain and reward is still going to work in on a very basic level to our basic subconscious mind all the time and what we want is we want be- to, we want basically from this file physiologically what is going to make us most happy most comfortable and most secure but the holy spirit according to the previous teachings we believe that this id part of the brain is what is renewed the selfish dark self-obsessed you have been crucified taken out of your physiological brain and the light the truth the holy spirit this person of god has now moved in there but he doesn't just go and start to override everything he starts to guide and to um Uh, align everything, and it's the alignment that we are focusing on. So He guides us from here. He's going to live in our entire being, our entire mind. But from this, the headquarters, the HQ in your brain, is going to start to um, motivate you, because the motivations, the signals for motivation comes from here. He's going to motivate the individual to start to seek out knowledge of God, the Word, truth. And so you'll receive teachings and hopefully also read what is written in the Word. But you see, this part of the brain is now going to need to educate itself as far as what's right with God because it needs to fill up with the relevant information to make sure that you are now in your relationship, good with God. And that process is what most Christians engage in. So you have a bunch of information there. You have the driving force of the Holy Spirit wanting to motivate us, incorporating the two files, motivate us to fulfill our value system that is stored in the super-ego part of the brain. Okay, yeah, the ego part of the brain contains the actual ID as it has developed over time. So in actuality, you seated in heavenly places is now the reality that is living in here. The information that is there forms the two parts of the puzzle that is going to slowly but surely replace what is in the pain and reward file. But this is a slow process, and that is why discipling is needed. And I.D. has to continuously negotiate a way for you to not self-destruct or self-harm in the process of getting to understand how all of this works. So you cannot just um, convince Uh, Ego to all of a sudden do everything that you've imported into super ego. It is a slow process and there's got to be a flow, and that is why the Bible says, Walk in the Spirit. Okay, now the process that we are saying should happen from. the scripture is that a flow has to develop between the knowledge of the word so that is where the renewing of the mind is going to take place as we see the result that if we do what the word says we see the result that we have fellowship with Yahweh, God. With the Son, Yahushua, we increase in the knowledge of Yahushua, we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This gets stored in the reward file. And for the believer, this becomes the biggest reward of all rewards. It starts replacing all other reward. The pain file also gets reprogrammed, because what used to be dangerous and 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 painful is balanced out by the reward that we're going to receive if we do what is written in the Word of God. The problem with most Christians is that what is stored in the super-ego as the value system is not usually based on the truth of what is written in the Word of God. And so, what happens is the connection the relation between the reality of their relationship with God and their experience of reward is not going to uh, be uh, it's not going to reflect what they think is the truth so with other words, what is stored in there, if it's not the correct word it's not going to give you the right Um, results. And so, if there's a disconnect from God and not a connect from God, because you're not actually doing what the Word says, then the reward file is not going to be filled up enough so that ego is convinced to actually register that this is good and this is right. And this means that the flesh still is activated from these files to do what is best for you because you still have to survive and so most believers are stuck in a position where the flesh and the spirit is keeping each other in a stuck position
2: so we started this study by looking at the word "karta," and "karta" is interesting because as its definition it has two seemingly opposing words which is against and according to And we looked at the fact that "carter" more than just a word with a definition, is actually a word that contains, and has embedded in it, a functionality. And for us to better understand this functionality, we decided to do it visually. And so here's a clip about how magnets work.
1: These little dots of magnets are representative of all the scattered little pieces of information that we have now, over a period of time, imported into our own brains. So we have pieces of scripture, we have truths that we truly believe, um, and we have, for our fellowship, we have building blocks, we have principles, all of these pieces of information. Is stored in here, and um, for us to serve God, we have to have a system where we can access 60 different pieces of biblical information. Now, if we had to manually or step by step do this ourselves come to a conclusion or make a decision, we would have to run through everything we know about a verse, a piece of scripture, a truth, and then decide which truths to put together, what is relevant, what is not relevant, and then eventually come to a very practical decision. So, if our minds had to regulate us in a way that we had to choose, pieces of information, think about it, decide which pieces of information are relevant, with other words, which pieces of scripture is relevant, and then we had to decide, how am I supposed to act now? If this, that was the way that we had to govern our actions, our words, then it would take us forever to do anything at all. But now, this word kata gives us an insight into when the Spirit comes and meets with the working of the brain, the physiological man that which is represented here by flesh. It says the flesh and the Spirit, contrary to each other, comes against each other but then later it says, so the solution to this clash in uh, the flesh and the Spirit is that we should walk in the Spirit
2: be led by the
1: Spirit and be led by the Spirit. So now the Bible gives us a solution, and we look at it and we go like, my intention is, my choice is, I want to walk in the Spirit. But now on the other hand, my, 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 my flesh, my brain, wants to follow some logical process on how to come to a decision. And the moment we start to look at, I've got to make a decision on uh, maybe changing a career or a job decision, or something like that or how am I going to deal with a family member that wants me to go to a wedding that is against my value system uh, because of the religious aspect of it and so, or they want me to go do Christmas that's a pagan festival Um, I have to now come to some decision and this means that the files in my primal brain is going to try and work it out according to reward, pain, danger, security. Super Ego is trying to, going to try and use a million bits of information, what it has learned over a lifetime regarding relationships, security within relationships, how do I not upset my mother, how do I not upset my grandmother, how do I not upset my church people, and so it feels like we're doing this uh, juggling act with two million uh, balls, uh, juggling it in the air and that's what's happening on the inside because we have all these pieces of information. Now, in that uh, video clip, we have all those little dots of magnets and what you do is you throw one magnet into it and because of the polarization, the magnetism, It has a positive and a negative end. It is going to pull and push. This is where the word kata comes into our understanding of this very uh, complicated and mysterious scripture. Mm -hmm. The spirit and the flesh has enmity with each other. They come against each other. It keeps you from doing what you want to do or what you wish to do. And the word kata is run in there. So, we have the two realities that seems impossible mm. and they use the word kata. With other words, it has both meanings. It has a positive and a negative side. Just and like a magnet. This is the, me- me- uh, the, the mechanism that God has put in us through the Holy Spirit. It's not only going to push or pull force. It is going to work it out it's going to use positives and negatives within its working to not only stop the flesh, but to flip the flesh around because we want to do the will of God, because we believe the will of God is the best scenario. The will of God is always the best answer. Whatever lines up with the Word of God is going to cause the least conflict Mm. within the resurrected believer. Why? because I'm seated in heavenly places, I have the mind of Messiah, if I have to now try and work out something that we have to deal with in the flesh, and it contradicts who I am in the Spirit, it's going to cause conflict. Mm. The conflict is going to cause me fear and anxiety, Mm. but on the other hand, I'm also still in the flesh, and I have all these megabytes of information that is telling me, in the flesh, I shouldn't upset my family members, my boss at work, my wife, my kids, my husband. And so in this process where a lot of magnets can be aligned in, the, in opposite flows, the Holy Spirit inside of you are going to come and cut mm-hmm. the whole situation and cause a flow. Switch things around, flip things right side up and sort out all these million uh, megabytes of information for you. And that's why when we have to make a decision, when we, ha- when we feel conflict, we turn to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so practically for us, the process that we engage cognitively in... A lo- remember, a lot of these processes are going to happen... If it happens in the ID, the primal part of the brain, It is not cognitive. Mm. It is almost subconscious. So you don't access that information. It comes through as signals,
3: Mm. as
1: impulses, impulses, as inspirations from that. So the contribution that that part of the brain is going to make is coming through as a whole lot of impulses to the rest of the brain around the ego part of the brain, where all the vents are, they've now got to uh, sort out all the impulses that's coming from the primal brain, so that they can take what's coming from the super-ego and see if they can match it up. Ego's going to try and match it up. And what the Holy Spirit from uh, this indwelling position is doing is He's going to activate super, uh, super-egos to send through what it knows about the truth, the scripture of God, mm. and the will of God. The Holy Spirit is going to confirm and witness to that which is right and true, coming from the superego. And so, ego can start to sort these things out. So the Holy Spirit is going to cause a magnetic flow. Mm. Remember we explained that magnetism happens with other words, there's a strong electrical current that's going to flow, that's going to exert a pushing and a pulling power, right? A strong power that is the opposite of being stationary. Mm. That is going to be worked with by the Holy Spirit on the inside so that we can come to a godly solution or response. Okay, now, the Holy Spirit in us is there, if you are in Messiah and you've been resurrected. He's Mm. living inside of you. Mm. Through a process of renewing the mind, we are trying to reprogram the brain with the true information of the Word of God. And in between these two processes, in the ego, there's you sitting there going like, I'm still here. Although the flesh has been crucified, you're still in there.
3: Mm.
1: Now how do you, because it stops you, it says the flesh and the spirit are enmity with each other, and it stops you from doing what you wish. Now the you in you, How do you become part of this magnetic pulling and pushing the magnetic field or flow to allow just a smooth, seamless flow of the will of the Holy Spirit? Because then it means there's not going to be all these confused emotions and conflicts, pain or anxiety or discomfort that happens in you. So, we get involved in this process Mm. on a very specific basis. On the one hand, if you're spending time with you, you are reinforcing your will and your thoughts on the inside. So, as you are busy um, programming parts of your brain with the Word of God and the will of God, this is a manual process. You have to do it bit by bit. You have to work on it. You have to fit the little bricks in the wall yourself, one brick at a time. It doesn't happen automatically, even for the reborn person, mm. the resurrected person. Now, if you, on the inside, are spending, giving yourself the freedom to spend time just thinking about your thoughts, your will, your fears, your anxieties, and you keep focusing, or having conversations on the inside, with yourself, then you are busy simultaneously reprogramming your own thoughts, your own value systems, your own needs, your own lusts, your own fears, continuously into your system. So instead of undoing what is not the Word of God, we are now importing a little bit of the Word of God and a little bit of ourselves. a Word of God, a little bit of ourselves. And this is going to cause a break in that magnetic flow that the Holy Spirit wants to establish inside of us. And that's when you get to this position where the flesh and the Spirit keeps having enmity with each other. The way normally we're going to find that out is we do something sporadic in ignorance or foolishness and then the body that repre- represents the person of Messiah on earth comes and says, what you did is not aligning with who we are. And so just like on the inside we can have a clash between the Holy Spirit and the flesh, on the outside, the body and the the fleshly actions are going to clash and have enmity with each other. Now the body has this purpose of now flipping you around to flow with the Spirit. And if we don't allow the body to flip us around to flow with the Spirit, and we want to continue to do what's best for me, or what I want it to do, or what is going to satisfy me now, then you remain in a deadlock with the body. And that's why we see a lot of people keep repenting, 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 but they... Mm-hmm keep getting back to a place of deadlock because of those times when we are spending time with myself Mm. reprogramming my own voice and my own will and my own fears and my own thoughts into the place where the Word of God is supposed to be programmed. Right. So... Kata has to be important, uh, imported as a concept into our thinking. So when I look at a problem, a, a situation, I go like, this is a problem. Immediately I should go, it's a problem and an opportunity. Kata. The moment I go like, um, I'm faced with a situation... Where I'm going to have to deny myself, I go like Carter. I'm faced with a situation where I have to deny myself and choose the will of God. So we have to seek that to Mm. pull momentum in everything that comes our way. Everything. I'm working too hard in the opportunities that God has given me for provision. Does it make sense? And then we uh, have... S- there's so many applications for this word, God. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling tired, I'm working too hard, I'm overburdened, because I'm not spending time with the Holy Spirit and renewing my strength in the word of the Lord. So the moment that we get to a place where we find that the flesh and the spirit seems to have enmity with each other, we have to now actively engage in a process of flipping it so that we can have a magnetic movement in the will of God. And how do we do that? By having a lifestyle of renewing the mind in the Word of God and in the truth, the understanding of the Word of God, and that is us Pumping the superego full of the steroids of the Word of God. So that it becomes so powerful in its exertion of magnetic flow. So it is constantly pulling ego out of itself into the Word of God. So we're pumping the superego full of the Word of God, full of the truth. And we know we can do this through... Listening to the right worship music that's not going to give us the wrong information. Spending time with the fellowship in and around the Word of God and truth. Not talking about our own stuff, but about the stuff, the things of God. Being in the Word of God and uh, making ourselves, availing ourselves of the blessing that's coming from the fivefold ministry Mm. as much as we can. That is the super ego process. So we're pumping it, full of magnetic energy, literally using every opportunity we can to flip every molecule in that part of the brain, flip it around to spin in the same direction, and finding any bits of information that's spinning in the opposite direction and flipping it around to spin in the same direction until the entire super ego part of the brain every molecule, every cell, every uh, bit of it is spinning in exactly the same direction so that it is, it's exerting this magnetic pull on ego that is too strong for ego to resist mm. and from the other side, like a conveyor belt with the Holy Spirit in the basic creation that has been renewed. He's there from are from the you side you constantly drawing near to him in relationship, so we on the one hand we 're not just academically feeding our minds with the truth on the other side, emotionally in every personal way, we are pumping that reward file full of it is great to be in the presence of god whatever uh, the holy spirit uh, is going to say or do is a reward and so i'm going to seek him all the time with all my heart because the reward is going to far outweigh anything else and so we are constantly doing these two things we are reprogramming super ego with information that's bible study fellowship worship Just truth. Pumping it full of truth. And on the other hand, we are strengthening the personal bond in the you, with you, having intimate fellowship with God in you. Mm -hmm. And you are still seated in heavenly places, in Messiah, so this leads to us living a vital Uh, Life in reality, in the kingdom of heaven, in eternity, outside of time, in the finished work of Messiah. And this means that the ego you that's going to make decisions, find the best way for you to move forward, is now spinning around in this stream that is not contrary to what is coming from the idea Holy Spirit part of you, and flowing towards Super ID and flowing from Super ID in agreement with the Holy Spirit. And so the ego cue is no longer stuck or rusty or moving, it's spinning just like He created the universe. And that momentum of Magnetic energy, just like we showed you, that the magnetic energy is keeping the entire planet Earth safe from solar winds and dangers from the entire outside space, the darkness, out there. It is inside of you creating this same magnetic field that's keeping your mind, your psyche, safe. all the other stuff it cannot come in because any solar wind spiritual wind that's coming from the outside cannot break through that magnetic field that you're keeping going but now what happens to a lot of people is because when you go into your self processes you are now connecting with the old idea of yourself in context to your financial situation your physical situation Your cultural situation, the people around you situation, you connect with the self, the ego connects with that, and you start spinning in the opposite direction. Mm. Now the Holy Spirit is spinning you that way, you're spinning yourself the other way, and it, it will have the result that you're actually just stuck. And if the earth ever stopped spinning on its axle, everything implodes.